Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Fridays with the Scientist. Today we have Bei Chen Zhang from the National Drought Mitigation Center here at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Bei Chen, how are you this morning? Hi, okay, I'm doing really well. Sorry, I'm a little bit nervous, but my sound will sound better later. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well. And today we have a really good workshop with NASA people and also like community leaders. And I learned a lot from them, which is very beneficial. I hope like there will be some continuing report from this workshop that can be shared with everyone as a continuous effort to, you know, continuing building up the climate resilience at the community level in the heartland, basically the, the Great Plain area and Midwest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it was a very good conference. I look forward to uh, kind of helping draft up that report that we'll release um, probably sometime in the next six weeks. It's going to take a little bit of time to get everything together. I still actually yeah. <laughs> have to go through several pages of notes that uh, a lot of the graduate students here were nice enough to take. So that was extremely helpful. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very, very good week. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you were able to participate and uh, connect with some of the folks at NASA Goddard. I think some of your work might align very well with what they're doing. Um so just to uh, start off, I usually ask people, you know, kind of uh, to tell a little bit about themselves and their story, like how you how you got interested in what you're doing and, you know, how you got where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's basically a long story. I have been in Lincoln, Nebraska for about seven years now. I had my master here. Uh, it took me two years and then continuing for my Ph.D. all at Drought Center. I changed the direction a little bit. So this is my fifth year of my PhD and I hope to finish by this spring or summer, depending on how the progress of my dissertation going. And I had my bachelor degree in China at the, the university, I think it's called uh, Northwest Agriculture and Forest University uh, in the Northwestern part of China. And I studied uh, geoinformatics when I was in my undergrad, basically focusing on GIS, GPS, and remote sensing. And I got a chance as a like research undergrad student uh, in 2016 summer and visiting Lincoln and was advised by Dr. Um, Dabur Bethke. So we worked on project to uh, predict the crop yield, particularly the corn yield, uh, using SPI and temperature and APD, I think. Um, yes, and at that time, uh, that told me that the research is kind of like peeling onion. And once you're peeling one layer off, there's more inside and this endless process and feel like this is fascinating. And I always trying to do something good for human, for the environment. And Jaw Center is, seems like a good place for me to continue my, you know, to pursue my goal or, uh, the, you know, kind of like um, aims of the life. So so that's why I applied for master's here with Dr. Sigaita Desi and working on drought monitoring. So I was working on the Greece satellite products. It's a data assimilated assimilation uh, between Greece and NLDES2. Um, with a higher resolution in the North America. So I trying to compare if we can use gravity satellite data to better monitor for forest water stress in the US. And later on, I also realized that uh, there's hundreds of drought indices already, like in the different indicators. 
yes, I I know it's it's a lot, and it's describing all different you know um, characters in the hydrological processes. So, but I also think it's very important to connect what we have the salt the the, the handers. Uh, drought indicators to the actual impact. So I, I learned that from some initial work published in 2016, 17. Then I decided to switch my road a little bit. And in my PhD, I'm actually co-advised by Dr. Michael Hayes and Dr. Sigata Dasi on impact monitoring and assess. So you might be a little bit confused, oh, like, uh, what's the difference between job monitoring or job impact monitoring? I would say, like, one is more focused on the hydrometeorological effect or indicators or process, and the other is more about, um, you know, applications, combining what we learn from these hydrometeorological process and the real impacts on forest, on agriculture, on social economics. So I think the study objectives are a little bit different. And so the data set and the methods are a little bit different as well. Yeah, I know that. That makes sense. So did you did you actually have an interest in drought prior to coming here or did or is drought like a natural application of your remote sensing and GIS special specialization you've had when you were an undergraduate? I think that's a very good question. So actually, I don't have any preference before, but I'm interested in any type of natural disaster. I think that's uh, because of the a movie. I'm trying to re recall the name of the movie. I think it's called The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, yes. I yeah. came out in uh, when I was a senior in undergrad. Yeah. I'm probably dating myself a little bit here. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that movie is got some uh, scientific validity to it. Mostly it's it's fiction. Yeah, and, it's mostly um, it's fiction, but it shocked me that how severe the impacts could be from the environment or natural disasters. So yeah. so it's brought me. So that's also, and also with some um, readings I got at the same time, and also like when I was growing up, I was in high school that time, but uh, like what I call 2012, like 2012, like that movie is also... Uh, you know, like a hint to me, oh, I want to study geography or I want to study, you know, um, earth science that can help me to understand the functions of the planets a little bit better. And then, you know, that's all connected. So hydrology or disasters. And when I came here, I feel like, oh, that's a, since, you know, sometimes you need to find opportunity to dive into a like a field and to learn something, then you can explore a little bit more. And yes, I started with drought, like um, one type of natural disaster, but I'm also trying to explore to some other climate extremes, such as uh, flooding. That's obvious, uh, very important nowadays. And yeah, the other side of the hydroclimate spectrum. Yes, yes. And also like extremely heat floods. And also there's a compound in like compound natural disaster, like when we kind of discussed in the workshop as well. There are all, something you don't really, you know, imagine how, uh, you know, dramatic the impact could be, even though you are thinking, oh, when drought happened, it's usually very dry with the wildfire happened. But like we discussed, when drought happened, if it's, you know, very wet, it's probably, sorry, very cold, that could be also happen. Like not, they are not like automatically associated together, like drought and the temperature. The same thing like if the, um uh, when the heat wave happened if it's cool that could be bad it could be cool and sorry 
it could be dry. I was, I knew it's early meant. morning. Yeah, I was trying to say like when, more coffee. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> when yeah, it's eight a.m. now, but um, uh, what that like when the heat wave happen, if it's uh very dry, yes, then there will be a higher risk of wildfire. But when it's very wet, then it's higher risk of human related diseases or you know like uh. Uh, and also, like, the, it's a suffer for cattle. I didn't think about the cattle before, but we are discussing how, you know, big effect that on the cattle. So I thought, oh, that makes sense. Like, yes. But it's a complex process to learn how different these uh, extremes combine together and uh, plot the distribution or probabilities. Sure. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't know if um, Dr. Jeff Becerra, uh, who was my undergraduate uh, well, I wasn't was an advisor. He was more of a mentor. Uh, he was essentially my supervisor, and I was uh, an undergrad down in Oklahoma uh, many years ago. And you know, one reason I invited him to be a keynote speaker is I think he really has a lot of expertise in drought, flash drought, but he also has a lot of expertise and experience working on the other side of the hydroclimate spectrum, meaning floods and you know extreme heat, extreme cold. But anyway, he has a term or terms he calls cascading and compound uh, impacts or compound impacts and cascading impacts and things like that. And, you know, I think the terms of the compound and cascading impacts, I think human health and animal health, certainly drought can cause, you know, um, impacts of both. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you've done quite a bit of work in terms of like the trying to make a um, get a better understanding of how drought affects our upper respiratory like our respiratory health as humans. Oh, actually, it's just started. Uh, yes, I I trying to uh, investigating more in this field since um, I got a fellowship from the Water for Food Institute, which is here, uh, collaborated with the climate water water climate and health program at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, working with Dr. Jesse Bao. Uh, yeah. Yes, Jesse and Laura were on this podcast back in uh, I think it was early December, and we had a a little bit of a hiccup. The uh, computer was starting to act up, so it, we spent like ten minutes trying to figure out how to actually rescue the audio file. Uh -huh. I should have, I think I should have just saved that, like that 10, 15 minutes. Like there's two, you know, two of us have PhDs, and Laura has a as a master. So it was like three people in here with advanced degrees trying to figure out how to get an audio <laughs> file off a computer. It was really funny listening to our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we've done some, yeah, that's, that's another story we can share after the photo. Yeah. But yeah. So yes, I work with them, but uh, I just started um, last year. I like my fellowship start a year ago, but I was just trying to get in the data set. And trust me, it's really hard and very, there's very strict process you need to go through to get the house related data, even though it's all be census. So we don't have any information of this, you know, individuals and it's high level aggregated into month and county level, but still there's, you know, like a long process before you can get actually the data. Uh, so I think I got the data last year around September or October. Then I started to work on them. And and so it's it's just a very, you know, like exploratory stage. But there are already some work, especially Dr. Bell's work um, and Dr. Bell Berman's work. They are focusing on uh, different um, drought indicators or different uh, hydrological extremes uh, associated with, like you said, respiratory-related mortality. 
I think mortality is due like um the largest part of uh health study uh beyond the the water quality and some other contaminations because I think the the the, the I think that's the biggest challenge in the human health related or uh, environmental health related studies is the data set like we couldn't find a consistent um data set in both spatial and temporal scale. But speaking of the respiratory related mortality data, and it's very interesting. So imagine that, like I said, it's a very high level data. So it's included, so- it's, it, Just a, real quick, just um, for clarification, I mean, are these the data sets you're referring to or data set that you're referring to, Is was it publicly available, like sort of, so not not really? No, not really public. You have to apply for the data set at CDC website, and they have a you know a process to that. Actually, I I I'm not the one to you know like deal with data set. Like I think you you have to be at a PI at least to well, be sure. able to work, you know, with them to get the data set. There is a public version of the data, but it's really it's not even at monthly county level. It doesn't it, give you the information yes. you need to actually be able to do a legitimate study. Yes, it might be helpful if you wanna plot a map at a state level just to briefly see, you know, which which they have a higher rate of some certain disease caused mortality. Mm -hmm. That's another thing, like when we define, like you, some people might be interested, oh, how do you know it's a mortality caused or mortality related, uh, sorry, uh, respiratory related uh, mortality. There is ICD code is a unified code that used in every hospital and healthcare provider. That you know you, you when you when you have someone died, you can fill in that code. Then you can contribute it into you know some certain type of diseases. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, and we use a, a more like an aggregated version. So there is a large category covers many different diseases, considering as more uh, respiratory related. So that's how we extract that data out. Uh, because we have some hypothesis saying that, oh, like when drought happened, we might have more particular matters on the air or we might, it's easier for germs to trans, uh, you know, like trans, what I call it, like- um, Transport. Transport or, you know, like being, yeah, transport attached to some other things. And the allergy might be stronger because of the, the flower pollen. So something like that. But since it's a very high level data, it's not just and mortality death is a very extreme case, right? So so beyond, well, that's the most extreme. Yeah, that's obviously the worst. I mean, it means you're dead. Yes, yes, that's the most extreme. And um, so you can see some very obvious trend uh, when you collect the data, since we do have some properties of the original data set, like for example the uh, age, the race, and uh, the sex. And like the mortality is more significant associated with the age. So that's the most significant trend, which no doubt. So we, we need to tease out the impact from those extreme, no matter it's heat or, or drought compared to, you know, like um, what happened in a county in, in a month. So I think that's the most challenging part It's all high level aggregated information. So in the literature I found, so it's really varies the, the relationship. So we couldn't really be very confident say that, oh, you know, like we know for sure that um, drought cost increased of 
uh, respiratory disease uh, mortality. I mean, uh, first they noticed that like I I used cost because this is uh, like we we expect so we want to find out whether there is any causation between uh, like respiratory disease and um, drought. So the or respiratory mortality and drought. But um, yeah, this is a very hard link to draw. The people might find, oh, there might be some positive. So in different studies, people find at different period, in different counties, at different states, yeah, there might be positive association or correlation. There might also be negative positive like um, association. So sometimes drought even lower down the risk of respiratory disease mortality, relative mortality. And sometimes it's like dressing up. So you see like the, the, the based on the, and also this type of environmental health study just compared to the other public health problem is just jumping people's view. So it's developed 10 years or 15 years for the most. So people still exploring how we can better study that, but the answers or the outcomes are not really clear yet. But we wanna see that no matter how we are doing the study, there, there are potential hypotheses we have. The, the, the key is how we can tease out all those confounding variables that affect both disease, like uh, disease-based mortality and drought or, or drought impacts and to, you know, kind of peel, again, peeling the onion, like see what's inside. Yeah. yeah. No, I think what you're describing there is a very big onion that probably has lots of, lots of layers and probably layers that are not necessarily always easy to peel off mm -hmm. just because of like you said, some of the data issues. So I mean, it seems like what you're describing, the the gap is not necessarily in trying to quantify where the drought is. That's probably maybe not we maybe we can do that perfectly, but I think we can we can quantify drought lots of different ways. There's lots of different indices to do yeah. this. And you know, if they're all kind of agreeing, then you can certainly come with some level of certainty and say, yes, we we had drought. Um, but it sounds like the the health impact data, I and mean, just because of PII and other you know things that can be very sensitive. It's probably a lot harder to get that data, and I, I get the CDC is going to uh, you know safeguard that very very carefully. Yeah. And but do, do you think is, is some of the gap though also just in that the the format that the data come in or just not you know it, you probably I'm I'm assuming you probably have had to spend some time writing code to mm -hmm. actually parse it out in a way that's useful. Yeah. I mean, is that is that actually one of the bigger gaps in these data sets? Is this actually just trying to make format the data into something that you can actually use? Yes, exactly. I think uh, there, there, like I, Eric, that's a very, very good point of view to saying how different or how difficult or challenges sometimes these interdisciplinary study could be, right? I'm coming from, you know, uh, uh, geographers or like, uh, or uh, uh, geoinformatics, data science, or something like that. So, so I'm dealing a lot with spatial data, temporal data, and uh, that's like you said, that's the geo data. We have different, like we have different format, different, you know, like uh, description or mm, uh, proxies for different hydrological process. Mm -hmm. All right. So, if uh, like a mm, scientist in public health or environmental health, particularly trying to use that they need to learn how the all the process have done before like basically they need to learn how to use gis how to you know what's the data structure of a spatial data set something like that so that's one part and the other part is for me i need to understand 
how you know like the CDC provided data works. So yes, they are in tabular, but they have their very specific format, and that format can be changed over the time. So. Of course. Yes. And they like, for example, like after 2005, there might be some change. And so they remove some columns and add some. And, it, and that makes it more of a challenge to try to actually marry up data sets. Yes. It's uh, basically, I, I don't say it stopped you doing that, but it's add a lot of like, you know, steps like in the middle. You have to convert this a little bit and clean that a little bit. So that's, I, I do see that's a challenge down the road. And another situation I saw sometimes is, uh, the communication of different, uh, definitely like there are always computations in academia. So the same data set can be processed thousands time to make it data science ready or machine learning ready. Mm -hmm. Each group need to do it once, like one time when they doing that. And if a group have a good data management, I think Dr. Bao did really are, uh, are trying to do a very good job in this part. Like they're trying to build a, a shareable, shared data set uh, like basically within the group that, you know, people can actually, like, it's kind of like a database, but a simpler version that you can just extract data. You don't need to process many, many times again, again, and again. But sure. in some of groups, there are less communications, you know, like maybe this PhD student need this data set and will process again. Another PhD student need the same data set, but need to reprocess the whole things again. So it's a waste of time and, you know, energy, but that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of getting from you is that the initial communication when you when you sort of you initially start wanting to do some research on a project like this, I mean, it seems like maybe one of the first steps is actually getting everybody in the room together to figure out okay, what are we actually trying? We what well, we're trying to study, but what data sets do we need to get this, and how do we get these data sets in a way that are in a usable, legible format for everybody to understand. Yes. And I you know, I was thinking of uh, Jesse's comment on Monday during his uh, talk at the conference and how he said something about, um, oh, yeah, these you can get the just go get this NetCDF file that's here on this, you know, buried in this NOAA website. And it's like, you know, that doesn't mean that just because it's available doesn't mean it's easily usable. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is a very important challenge is actually a making sure that, you know, these data sets are readily um, available or may not always easily available, but certainly like very legible that you can go through, you can use Python or use R or use whatever code you're wanting to work with to actually do calculations, do trend analysis, um, you know, those types of things. But, mm -hmm. you know, that may, that there may be several steps taken before you can get there. Uh, but you, well, you, when you're just talking about the processing, it's like maybe, you, if you get everybody in the room together to figure out what everybody needs, mm. that can save you a lot of time. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a waste of time to do extra you know, all this extra processing if you don't have to. If you figure out what you need up front, and get that done. Yeah. So I think again, I've got communication. I think that was one of the you know, points of the conference this week was talking about, you know, how we talk to each other better. Yeah, because yeah. we we all, I think, want to solve challenges, but I think you know one of the challenges of interdisciplinary work in my mind is that our languages could be a little bit different. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, our data sets could be a little bit different. And I, it's in trying to explain how to use certain data sets to certain people. And I, I think I get so used to working with different drought indices that, you know, that sometimes I take a step back and say, oh, they may not have a clue what the hell I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, since I worked with, uh, uh, like I said, like uh, the scientists in environmental health or public health, I also work with people in uh, sociology, so like some social scientists. Mm -hmm. um, um, both of them are great people and they know solid knowledge in statistics, uh, you know, different type of statistical model. Sometimes they even use some similar statistical model. Um, but I can tell like how difference in the pipeline, like the pipeline from the beginning, they want to start to pre-processing data and doing exploring analysis and build the model, doing some tests, robustness like that. And also like how different they will describe the same thing in different terms. So mm -hmm. that's like, they might use different terms to refer an imbalance the data set. If you are first in the field, you might be confused. Oh, what, what that is. So you need to Google that. I think, but the, thanks for the advanced of techniques now, Google or even AI like GPT, it provides a great, you know, you know, or uh, easy convenient tool for you to quickly fill in the gaps of this, this, you know, like since you basically know the concept already, it just don't know what they're saying. But once you link them, then you say, oh, they're talking about this. Sure. No, and that's a great point. And so you're what you're basically saying is that things like chat GPT can really help improve our understanding of other disciplines, like with their, their communication. So it helps that yeah. communication. It's like maybe it gets you from a you know, a very minimal level understanding to some like found like some maybe not like high level, but certainly like a foundational level where you could understand each other enough to actually have meaningful conversations and, um, you know, actually be able to solve challenges, get to where you can solve challenges. Yes, yes, exactly. I think that's definitely a, a huge part. Um, we can leverage a, a chat GPT or other language model like uh, Gemini, uh, like uh, released it several weeks ago because like one of these transformers uh, largest uh, advantages is to translate and translate from Chinese to English or English to German is no different from translate the language using the climate scientist to you know sure. like a social scientist so uh, our languages are different yeah yeah we, we use different terms to refer different things and also I'm thinking of that um Sometimes the, the background is also very, uh, that's uh, what I observed in this interdisciplinary project is um, we scientists have very strong, you know, pursuing to our own research questions or our own objectives. You, you always see that the scientists like from one domain, like for example, from drought or climate extremes, will trying to explain from more like the earth science side like the questions related, oh, how drought impacts these? Like, what's the pathway to that? We want to make it clear. Mm -hmm. But from the, the, like, more like the, uh, I would like to call it downstream applications. It's a term in AI application, but basically you have the data set, have the model, you're trying to see what it can be applied to. Uh, if we're saying applied to social, sociology or social societal questions. So they are more care about, oh, how, like, what's the, the, you know, like the end impacts. I don't care what's happened before. Like, tell me, uh, like a, a, a golden. They're, they're interested in the impacts. The, the process of how you get there from a hydroclimate standpoint is it maybe it's not of interest to them per se. Yeah, but within the same questions, both of them matter. So, so that's sometimes, you know, it, there will be argument of since when we are doing the research, we need to go to very details in order to 
make it actionable. Like otherwise you couldn't really code or write articles because yeah. there are so many details you need to clarify. So that's an, a, like a challenge I found as well. Like, sure. And, you know, I think what else I'm kind of getting from you is that if we're going to be able to have any true predict, you know, predictability of, you know, human health that can come from, you know, human health impacts from hydroclimate extremes, drought or flood or whatever, that, you know, we, we have to understand the processes of both. Yes. And I think that's where you have, to, and I think that's where the beauty of people that can translate between the two and can communicate effectively. I mean, I think that's why Jesse is so valuable is yeah. because he, I think is fluent in, uh, well, I don't know if he's literally fluent in multiple languages, but he's, he's definitely fluent in multiple like discipline languages. Yes. Yes. He, he, and he, he trying to facilitate, facilitate the group and this group consists of like scientists from different fields from, you know, they have medical students in the group. They have, you know, like uh, geographers or uh, data set, geospatial data scientists like me. And also like they have uh, epidemiology students or original public health students. They all, you know, can have the potential to collaborate together. So I think, yes, that's a big part to facilitate uh, um, an interdisciplinary group at the beginning and encourage them to communicate, to brainstorm and to think of how to address uh, practical questions using the existing data set and, you know, advanced models. Yes. Very good. So I'll ask more a simpler question. Do you have a favorite drought index? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. So... But Do you have I, a least favorite drought index? I... No, either. Like, I'm, I'm the person who is, like... But I prefer a simpler and physical driven or, you know, like a drought index based on the physical process um, um, because like I think it's because of my research interest. I'm trying to see that uh, we, we like at Drought Center, we did build some uh, combined drought index based on, you know, some uh, statistical inference like PCA or regression trees. Um, but when we got this index in hand, in hand, it's hard. It's hard to if we applied it to some you know impact we observe. It's hard to um, contribute to the part of this you know climate or hydrological process of which which part is more important to the impact. Then that if we sure. yes we we are since if you are thinking from the operational aspect yes that's helpful since you kind of merge the information together from the soil moisture from the stream flow from the precipitation evaporation but from the scientific research part we 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 are not trying to you know like blend everything together and you know like just think oh it works that's all and we we're trying to say oh why it works. So absolutely that's, yes that's why I'm like to me because the the these questions I'm studying so I prefer a simpler and a more physical driven indicators that can help me easier connected to more complex images since comp the impacts are already complex you if you have a complex indicator as well then both of them are all very complex so you couldn't really hide them well so in other words you're you're interested in trying to Reduce complexity, so we can get you know try to get better understanding. Trying to get better, yeah, better understanding between the indicator and the impact. That's basically what I'm trying to do in my PhD dissertation. Yeah, excellent. It sounds like you're getting close to being done with that. 
Yes, hopefully. Yeah, there, there, there definitely a lot of work can be done as a following. There's no end for any scientific project from what I learned in PhD. It's a continuous process. Yeah, it's continuous. You but, can't you always... know, there are certain milestones along the way, and this is a very big milestone, yeah. and I look forward to uh, you uh, finishing that and you know seeing you walk across the stage. And uh, I also understand that you're going to be a father here soon. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um. My wife and I are going to have a son in July. Yeah. This year. Is this not uh, the first? Uh, the first. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Fingers crossed that uh, I'll go. So I just became uh, an uncle for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, so our niece, uh, Lila, she's she's beautiful. I'm actually hopefully going to pop in and see her today, and I'm on the way back from Grand Island. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. It's. Uh. Yeah. It's a totally different stage. I I can although I'm not in that stage yet, but I can see how big the changes could happen in my life. But yes, yep, it will be probably. Well, it definitely will be. But uh, I'm sure you're ready for it, and it'll be good. Thank you. So thank um, you. anyway, Jen, it was a privilege having you on this morning. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Eric, for having me, and have a nice day, everyone.